Get about the curveball, Ricky. Give him a heater. Welcome to the Heater Podcast. I'm Dan Lewig. He's Corey Pieper. As we break down the uh, has been a pretty exciting week and and uh, games here this week. Some uh, uh, game saving catches, uh, some masterful pitching performances. There were a lot of those this week, guys. That stepped up from no hitters to uh, dominant strikeout performances. Uh, a couple of key uh, hits and things that were going on there as, as well. And so we're going to dive into a, a bunch of things here. Uh, but f- before we uh, get started, again, as always, the, the Heater Podcast is brought to you by River Creek Popcorn. For all of your snacking needs for baseball games and movies of choice, come hungry, leave happy. Uh, it was a hopping weekend out at the, uh, the the popcorn wagon here. It's uh, Business is picking up even from where it was last season, which was great. So even more business is even better, and I'm very thankful for all that. Now, we currently don't have any ice cream. Uh, the freezer... Decided to do crap out on us, so we ordered a new one, but I have very specific measurements, so I have to get it custom made, and it will be shipped, but as you know, in this still pandemic going on, Amazon has been fairly reliable, but sometimes it takes a little longer than usual, so hopefully we have it by next week, but right now, no ice cream. I'm hoping it's here by the, when the heat really starts to come in summer, we'll have it. It was interesting, and it's always this way in Wisconsin. There's no such thing as an off season with uh, with uh, ice cream. Nope, people uh, love it. And we were taking uh, uh, the dog for a walk earlier this week. It was the uh, very windy, overcast skies, like maybe forty degrees. And that was the day we actually stopped and got ice cream while we were out there, and still sat outside and ate it uh, like on, said, on the way. So it's it, uh, uh, yeah. There's never a bad time for any dairy product in Wisconsin. Uh, what uh, I wasn't thinking of this question before, but as we look at the the games here, now we're going to dive into a bunch of things. But what stood out to you? What was your uh, best impression from this this week of baseball? What uh, uh, if it, it might be a new question we might start it's asking okay. to kick things off. It's it's going to it's going to be the fact that I said I just mentioned this before we got started here. The Dodgers are rolling out the B team as far as their B team goes. There is no Cody Bellinger. We're going to talk about his injury. They've had times when Mookie Betts hasn't played for them. They've sat Corey Seager at times just to keep everybody fresh, and they are currently sitting at 13-3, and three, coming off of a 2-1 to one win. You couldn't have asked for more last night out of you, Darvish. I think it was seven innings of two hits, and he still was down 2 to nothing at that point, and Mookie Betts saved the win. The, the, you couldn't get more out of that if you're a Padres fan, and then they still lost. So it's another series where, yeah, they ended up winning one today, but the Dodgers said, look, Padres, you're good, but... We're still better, even without Cody Bellinger right now. Yeah, I'm. Uh, uh, for me, it's Shane Bieber. Yeah. Uh, the uh, four consecutive starts of ten plus strikeouts, uh, and now has uh, either tied or broke a major league record. He's now being mentioned in the same breath with Nolan Ryan for best start that way uh, for for the first four starts of a season with that many strikeouts. Uh, just been uh, an incredible start for for him. Coming off that Cy Young Award last year, and he's he's tracking early towards this season. Now he's going to have some serious competition. There's some very good pitchers right now. What always amazes me with Shane Bieber is he eats innings, too. Like He's another one who's so good at eating innings for them. And that's a team where if he throws up a bad start, they 
they have good pitching. Now, Zach Plesak, I've always said I'm not a huge Plesak guy, and he looked pretty bad the other day. But other than Bieber, for we give them a lot of credit for their pitching, but it drops off in a hurry as far as like innings eaters, and they don't have a thick enough bullpen. So Bieber's awesome. I, I need to take it back. That's not going to be my, my best impression. My best impression for the week is Jake DeGrom got a win. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so <laughs> there's there's big news. New York Mets, get out like, of the way. I think he got four runs, which for him is you might as well be 50 because he is not giving up four runs hardly ever. And he's that per inning, he's amazing. And then he, he also eats innings like none other because he never walks anyone. And people don't get him. I said, I don't know how he suddenly throws harder. He gets... As he gets older, it just gets more velocity. It's insane. Let's see. It's the, I think I saw on, on Facebook, it's the year 2142. It is now the United States of Amazon. <laughs> uh, the uh, the fuel has been replaced by what other, like, green source that's there. there. And Jake DeGrom is now throwing 110 miles an hour. <laughs> I can buy any. At this point, when, when it comes to Jacob DeGrom, anything is believable, right? I, his ERA is currently .45. 0.45 as he's throwing 98.7 miles per hour. This is a guy, when he came up, it was 94. That was at 26. So he was always kind of a late bloomer, but now we're here in mid-30s, and he's basically routinely hitting triple digits. Insane. So we're kind of touching on little bits of things that are in the various segments that we have here, and so just kind of a way to... Uh, to highlight previews of that, because one just came to mind that I didn't write down for this. This would have been good for hot button issues. There's an excellent article that was there about Jake DeGrom is on ESPN uh, wanting to get into the inner circle, uh, the Hall of Fame inner circle uh, at his age, like to get into not only making it to the Hall of Fame, but to be in that group. And how how can that be possible with such a late start? Uh, to things. So uh, again, he's continuing to, to ramp up. Uh, so again, nothing is, nothing seems impossible for this guy, despite some of those big time challenges where, you know, by that stage in the career, there'd be at least five years for other guys. How do you make up five prime years within it? Well, if you keep doing what you're doing, going from 94 to 99, as you're getting older, yeah, it, it seems still seems possible, but it's a good article in ESPN. I think when we I know we did. When we did the GOAT series, he was the one I said, if there's a current right-handed starting pitcher who's going to get into the best all-time top 10, I will take Jacob DeGrom. And yeah, maybe he's only got five, I don't know, five more good years. Who knows? But if they're anything like the last five years we've seen out of him, it's going to be amazing. Well, let's dive into body heat as we look at the injuries from the past week. And uh, I'm going to start with an oldie but a goodie uh, for this list. Steven Strasburg makes his way again into the uh, the IL list with shoulder inflammation. And everybody is utterly shocked because how could he get hurt? Oh, wait, it happens every year. So shoulder inflammation, I, I watched him pitch. He looked quite rough against the Cardinals. It was the early in the week, I think Tuesday night maybe, and you could see him rubbing his shoulder and he was not throwing hard. And there was a report that a lot of the nationals were dealing with having the second COVID shot. Well, I just got my second COVID shot a few days ago and yeah, it, it drains you and it's tough on the arm and it hurts. So the wishful thinking was, well, maybe for some reason he got it in his throwing shoulder, which would be dumb. So I don't know if he did that or not, but as he's rubbing his shoulder, now it comes out shoulder inflammation with him, you never know. It, that could be something chronic, and you might not see him for months. Maybe it's gone in 10 days. We'll talk another uh, obvious one uh, that's there, always been uh, seemingly on there uh, very routinely. Drew Smiley 
uh, makes his way onto the injured list, and also uh, teammate Max Fried. Drew Smiley's is a forearm injury. Forearms and pitchers, never a good thing. And like you said, it's uh, he's done that before, and it's his pitching arm. I have no idea what type of timetable that is there. It says right now it's just inflammation, so we hope that it stays inflammation and they can rest it and get him back out there, but I would not be optimistic about that, and that's too bad because I really liked Max Fried going to Atlanta. We both did. Or, sorry, Drew Smiley. And then Max Fried's is a hamstring strain, and his happened running the bases, so more fuel in the fire for pitchers not batting. But uh, he was off to a okay start the first game, and then the last two were a little tough. I have don't think that had anything to do with the hamstring. I think it was just some rough pitching for him, but that one didn't sound too bad. It sounded like they were very optimistic that he would miss the minimum 10 days. Couple of a uh, couple more pairs of teammates. We'll start with the uh, the Brewers outfield, Christian Yelich and Lorenzo Cain. Uh, let's start with Yelich because it's the more important one. So his is the back injury, and he's had reoccurring back pain. His he hasn't really had it in Milwaukee more so than he had it a lot when he was with the Marlins. So it was an they tried to just take saying day to day, and he was going to play, and he was going to miss the opening series of the week against the Cubs, and then they had an off day Thursday, and everybody thought he'd be back Friday for the Pirate series, and he missed Friday, and then they finally retroactively put him on the IL, so. He was going to miss through at least next week. You just like you said, it's a reoccurring thing. That's the the Clayton Kershaw thing, right? It's the back, and if it's there, you got to rest it. And again, there's some to be expected with uh, an opening season full getting back going here. Uh, the the opening flare ups of, of things. If they address it early, be more precaution uh, uh, precautionary with it. Maybe it's, it's a short term thing. And that's the same thing we're hoping out of Lorenzo Kane. His is a quad injury in his left leg, and they said just been this, a year for him. So He took a year off, right? We don't know. I'm sure he looks in good shape for what I can see. I'm not a doctor in any stretch, but I don't know if he was training and running every day last year. So it said just quad discomfort, take your 10 days. It's, it's, there's, there's good shape and there's game shape. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then no matter uh, in the offseason or anything else, when you're not playing, you can get in good shape, but it's just not game shape. Yeah, so running out of, you know, got to run as hard as you can to first base as he's prone to do and pulled up a little lame so hopefully 10 days there too Dodgers with a more serious injury probably the most serious of the week with Cody Bellinger and then also teammate Gavin Lux so let's do Cody Bellinger first so Bellinger's is you may remember that it was last week here I said that he got spiked and they said it was a left calf contusion and we they thought 10 days well they did an x-ray or maybe it was an MRI. I'm not. I'm guessing it's an X-ray that revealed a hairline fracture in his left fibula. That is a much more severe injury. From everything it's that I read, that sounds like that's probably six to eight weeks. And as we've seen, they're going to be really cautious with these guys. So, if Cody Bellinger in six weeks is not fully healed, they will say take two more weeks, take three more weeks. So six to eight weeks is probably optimistic at this point from what I've seen because. Once he gets, once that heals up, they're going to let him get into game shape because they don't want him to re-injure that because, as we've said all along, their team is already tracking towards an easy playoff berth. And with that one, again, if you have to be off your feet for six to eight weeks, then you now have to get back into game shape because you don't want to then deal with a hamstring or quad issue going with it. And so that's getting back into shape and then getting back into game shape. So you're looking at another two to three weeks easy on, on that standpoint alone. So Lux is... He was off to a good start. He's gotten a little colder recently. He has right wrist soreness, which sounds, once again, like 
probably not a massive injury. He was swinging a bat, got his wrist a little sore. Uh, Dave Roberts said probably not a lengthy absence. So we probably won't see him for 10 days, two weeks, and then you'll see him up here again and hopefully he picks up right where he's left off. And we mentioned it beforehand, but as usual, they have found Chris Taylor or Zach McKinstry. They have someone who's filling in and doing it very well for him. Lance Lynn uh, just today went on the uh, the IL. And this this one was weird because Lynn has looked great in at least the last Absolutely. two starts. Very good. So his is a trapezius muscle, which I believe is the one that connects your shoulder to your is neck. Is that a real 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 muscle there? <laughs> Sounds like a trapeze thing. Um I I don't know. Like I said, there is is very new for we nobody had any indication of this happening. You hope that it's something minor, but once again, that's up in your shoulder area. So I, I don't know a whole lot about this one yet. It's not like like a like a muscle impingement type of you know thing dealing with some small small stuff there. But again, when you're talking pitching shoulders or anything with it, you want to be very careful. Uh, Johnny Guido was another uh, pitcher that uh, made his way to the IL. Yeah, he was off to a great start actually. He was looking real good for them to the point where they were going to get Alex Wood back this week and then move Logan Webb, who'd been pitching well for them, to the uh, bullpen. But Guido then grade one lat strain. That's probably sometime in May we'll see him again. I would guess. And because once again, you're talking shoulder stuff, so they're going to be cautious with him. Anthony Rendon was the other big name that uh, came through this week. Yeah, that one didn't sound super severe as far as muscle pulls go. It was his groin, which is never good for a third baseman who moves as well as he does. And so it didn't sound like they expected it to be overly a long time, but I would 10 days, two weeks is probably more more realistic. And then uh, Christian Walker. Yeah, the weekly oblique injury. Obliques tend to be seem to something that comes up whenever you have to swing a bat. We talked about it. It's it's tough on your stomach. So that one sounded more like probably three weeks ish, I would guess. And I just label it as Blue Jays relief pitchers because they've uh, been hit hard. The Blue Jays are the team this year putting together that all injured pitching staff. When you talk about Nate Pearson and they already lost Kirby Yates, and now Ross Stripling went down with a forearm, which. Once again, tough, just like the Drew Smiley one. You don't really know a lot. But after Kirby Yates had to have Tommy John, it was, well, we thought it was going to be Jordan Romano to close games for him. He has ulnar nerve inflammation. That's the one that gets Tommy John. So that that don't sound promising at all. And it wasn't Jordan Romano closing for them. It was Julian Merriweather, who they got in the Josh Donaldson trade, coming out, throwing very well. A lot of people were very impressed with him, but... He had another oblique injury this week, and Chatwood actually went on with a triceps injury. So, yeah, that that team has been decimated right now in that bullpen. And it wouldn't be an IL report without uh, the weekly Tampa Bay Rays bullpen uh, uh, going on there. So Colin McHugh just hit the IL today uh, uh, with that. that. So that adds now to Nick Anderson uh, to Peter Fairbanks, to Chaz Rowe. They already had Oliver Drake and uh, Jalen Beeks and all these other guys that are there too. So what was they, have a, they have a dominant uh, IL uh, bullpen. What was McHugh's? I didn't see that one. I didn't catch what the injury was. I just saw that he went on uh, today. Uh, and uh, he's he hasn't looked himself yet. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that maybe with some rest he comes back and, and he's there. But, yeah, at, at least a 10-day stint looking there. And now, now we have uh, COVID-related uh, IL, and that one is uh, obviously exploded. Some of this would be in the hot off the press section, but you know the Astros COVID list is uh, like five of their their big boppers, and you have the A's Twins uh, game that's now going to be uh, postponed uh, within it due to uh, uh, positive cases. 
So I just listed the big three for the Astros. They have more too, but I believe it was Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday. And it sounds like it won't be until at least Wednesday of this upcoming week. Bregman hasn't played. Altuve hasn't played. Jordan Alvarez hasn't played. Those big three. We know that Teoscar Hernandez has tested positive for the Blue Jays. I was going to mention that And one. that sounds like another week. And then you mentioned the Twins. So Andrelton Simmons, I believe, is the one who tested positive originally earlier in the week. And now they've had a coach test positive and some other player test positive, which they haven't released yet, which is fine. But that has led to cancellations of the last two games versus the Angels. And I don't know if they're traveling to play the A's or not. And then the only thing that can stop the surging A's right now. That's right. And then the uh, other two would be the Giants have a couple of positive tests. It sounds like, see, I don't know if they're positive tests or if they're a lot of it. It's hard to differentiate between positive tests and side effects of side effects of the shot. Some of them are sounds like it's side effects of the shot. And I said, I had it on Thursday. I spiked a 102 temperature late. I guess it'd be early Friday morning and got had some, I started throwing up a little bit and got kind of body sick. And so about 48 hours later, I feel fine now. So Jake McGee, Logan Webb, Jake McGee, we said leading the league in saves right now for a team that has famously pulled the raise thing and kind of varied their bullpen. They've came out early and said, Jake McGee, you're the closer, but he is also hit the COVID IL. Well, that wraps up our body heat section. We're now going to move on to hot off the press, latest news and and notes uh, from around baseball in the last week. Uh, We have three piggies that we're looking at here. We have uh, Jay Bruce uh, retiring. We have Yadier Molina with 2,000 games caught with one team. And Max Scherzer passing Cy Young on the strikeout list. So I was impressed with Yadier Molina. I did not realize that he would be the first person to hit 2,000 games. So I pulled up the list of where he is among catcher games. He is sixth all-time in games caught, but he's the only one who's done it with one team. So by the end of this year, I think he will be up to fourth on that list because he needs to catch 53 more games, and he will pass Jason Kendall and Gary Carter for third all-time on that list, behind only Pudge Rodriguez, Carlton Fisk, and Bob Boone. Impressive impressive. career. Yeah, Yeah. it was an impressive career. And Max Scherzer, he's amazing. He's I think people forget like just how much Max Scherzer has bounced around in his career from being kind of like a not forgotten, but he was not as good with Detroit as people wanted him to be, right? Yeah. And and then he went to Arizona and whatever it clicked and suddenly he started throwing harder and everybody wanted him and now it's with Washington. But in a really impressive career, when you pass Cy Young, obviously, in anything, it's amazing. And that was uh today. Seven innings, two hits, ten strikeouts. And then Jay Bruce, speaking of today, he played today, I think. And no, he didn't. Uh, he, didn't he sat down today. He, he sat he was, down today. And so he uh, said that before the game that he would retire after this game, he started off three for 34 this season for the Yankees, playing mostly first base with Luke Voigt injured right now. But it sounds like they're going to move LeMahieu to first, and Odor is going to play at second till Voigt gets back. When you think of Jay Bruce, I think of the I think he won a couple of silver sluggers with the Reds early in the 2010 area type of forty homer yeah, bat. Some big he his, had that big season with him and Votto were in the middle, right? Him yeah. and Votto in the middle of that lineup. Adam Dunn too. Was Adam Dunn would have been at that time there? probably, and so they had some very good like slugging teams in Cincinnati. Congratulations on your good career, Jay Bruce. And uh, I forgot my other note over here because uh, I kept it off to the side. Uh, if you're looking for an example in, in perseverance uh, and just stay, staying with it, uh, despite uh, 
just years going by and wondering if it's ever going to happen again. You know, when you, when you get to that first phone call on going to the bigs, such a cool moment, uh, right? And then you have guys that get excited for that, get in there. But then, you know, it doesn't always click right away. Injuries happen, performance happens, you get sent back down. And the goal always is to uh, just to work hard, whether it's rehabbing from an injury or performance and, and trying to get back to the show. But as the years go by, you you start doubting if it can ever happen again, and that dream may no longer be a reality anymore. Uh, Sean Kazmar, uh, in this last week, made it back to the majors after a 12-year absence. Yeah, it's a, it's a modern-day Crash Davis, right? Like, it's the same thing as the movie, and Jeff Passan is the one who put out the very excellent reporting on this one, but 36 years old, middle infielder, I think, think he only he got, he got called up because Elby's got he fouled a ball off his knee for the Braves so they needed a extra middle infielder for a couple days and he got into a game which like you said 12 years 206 day gap biggest gap since Minnie Minoso according to Jeff Passan and the, he's Kazmar's played every year in the minor since then which Minoso didn't do so if you said you start to get doubt yourself everybody's been there but it persevered and he can say once again I was a major league ball player for a day or two and yeah, and it doesn't matter how long that lasts. Just getting back, even even for a day, and and not, and getting back into the game to get an at bat to play like that's such a cool uh, feel good story of the season. Again, we talked about how awesome it was that Daniel Bard last year went like six or seven years uh, in between uh, the times that he was back on a major league mound. A lot of that was injury related uh, with the comeback tour. Uh, Twelve years with Sean Casmer, awesome. Uh, good to see that. Well, uh, coming up next, we'll be taking a look at uh, those that are on a heater. Uh, had an excellent week from uh, uh, from hitters, pitchers, and teams overall. And we're also going to talk about uh, You Got Burned. Uh, who were the ones that made some statements this week? And then where's the heat? Those that have uh, uh, heat is lacking and need uh, to uh, need some warming up to take place. All that coming up next. Cut my egg. Your eggs are cut, sir. Cut my milk! I can't, sir. It's liquid. Imbecile! Freeze it, then cut it. You! Bring me the Wall Street Journal. You two, fight to the death. You are a madman. I want to party with you, cowboy. Now, you kids with your loud music and your Dan Fogelberg, your Zima, Hula Hoops, and Pac-Man video games, don't you see? People today have attention spans that can only be measured in nanoseconds. <laughs> be honest with you, I love his music. I do. I'm a Michael Bolton fan. Yes! That's awesome! Those that were shaking it with the, the bat, uh, there's a lot of those nice uh, hitters that had a, an excellent week. Uh, we talk about all the things going on with uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Justin Turner uh, went off uh, this week. He's leading or like in the top three in most major categories, hits, RBIs. Uh, home runs are getting up there, too. Had a couple of game winners, I think, this week as well. So that uh, that bat has been fueling the one of the many fires uh, in that uh, potent uh Dodger offense. He's comfortable out there, right? That was his thing all along. Is he wanted to find a spot where he was comfortable, and he probably turned down more money. It sounded like in Milwaukee, but he wanted to go back to Los Angeles, and he's played. I think most of the games, which I said for them is pretty rare, actually. So batting right in the middle of that lineup and making a once again another guy who was saying, "Look, I don't need Cody Bellinger. I can hit home runs too." 
front and center on ESPN today has been uh, Ronald Acuna. Uh, with uh, is he? And we have this conversation, I think, for at least the last couple of years, and warranted. But like, is there? Is he ready for that next gear? Uh, and that's definitely the conversation here, the way that he has uh, played this week and started out this year. Just remember, this is a guy at 21 years old, two years ago, had 41 home runs and stole 37 bases. So if, if there is a 40-40 player in baseball, it, it is Ronald Acuna Jr. He, could he do it this year? Absolutely. And you know, we talk about how good the Braves' offense has been. has should be. It has not looked great this year. But it's certainly not because of Ronald Acuna's start. He's been scorching the ball over the all over the park. Uh, Wilson Contreras has uh, uh, bat is is back. You know, there's a little bit of uh, issues that happened last year. It was, wasn't quite the same. I don't remember if any of that was injury related or just fluky from the the 60 game season. Uh, but he has been back with the force here. Yeah, he's up to five home runs, and he's been he's back to basically playing catcher only for him. It's for some time in the outfield, but they brought in Peterson. And so it's basically been catcher only. Remember he, in the off season, there was some talk of going to the angels or something in a trade. So he's certainly making his trade market more appealing. And he's like the only Cubs hitter hitting. If we're talking about the Braves struggling, it is the only Cubs hitter hitting. Chris Bryant had a yeah, decent he did. week. Yeah, he's he been like okay. over 300 this week. Yeah, he, he's uh, been okay. I should have so given him more credit. So he's he's at least showing something. So again, uh, depending upon what the Cubs record overall is by the time we get to uh, uh, midseason and, and hot stove season, uh, the, the Cubs are going to be an interesting team to watch because uh, you can also talk about from uh, Wilson Contreras and then uh, Chris Bryant, uh, but also... Craig Kimbrell 2.0. Uh, he has started out uh, back been, to old, old self. I was. I looked at the spring training stats, and I was ready to say I was really worried about Craig Kimbrell, and we saw that early last weird season. But then at the end, he sort of figured it out, and he's been great so far. Now the Cubs have not gotten him many leads, and they're getting absolutely trounced right now by the Braves, 13-3. to But you know, when he's been out there, the, the velocity is back, and he's controlling it. It was... All the walks, right? That's what was getting him in trouble. And if he's controlling his pitches, yeah, I don't think we, I don't think I ever doubted Craig Kimbrell's stuff. It's the Shohei Otani thing where if you can't get it over the plate, Control. they're not going to swing at it. Uh, the guy that is going to be my, I think my favorite player to watch this year. So it was Fernando Tatis last year, and not that he's still not exciting to watch, and we'll have stuff to talk about with him later here. But uh, it's going to be uh, Jazz Chisholm. Uh, I think he's just a fun, a fun, energetic guy, uh, and he's still uh, each week he's been doing something within it, and he's becoming a force to be reckoned with for a team that needs offensive players to step up. So it makes the he got traded to the Marlins in that Zach Allen trade, which for a long time looked like it was going to be very one sided because Zach Allen is a very good pitcher, and we've seen him be a good pitcher. But yeah, Jazz Chisholm's making it look better. Uh, He's kind of another, he's not, I don't say he's Ronald Acuna, but he's another one who could probably hit 25 home runs and steal 25 bases. He has yeah, that, that skill set. potential for sure. But unlike Acuna, Jazz Chisholm strikes out quite a bit. And so his average is probably capped at 250. Now he could probably have a really high bat, but because of how fast he is, maybe get that up there a little bit. But yeah, I, I like Jazz Chisholm a lot. Is there any other hitters that really stood out to you this week? I have Wilson Ramos at catcher. I believe Wilson yes. Ramos is yes. 
Big bopper, Wilson Ramos, six the, home runs. Yeah, that's awesome for a catcher. And so that was a Tigers free agent signing. And we said, like, it's I, a low was, it's a low risk signing where maybe he has a stretch like this and you win some games or else you flip him and get something good for him at the trade deadline. There's no one is, is buying him for uh, the glove. It, you're buying him for the bat. And the bat was weird last year. He batted like 182 and the short stretch. The Babbitt was extremely low. Uh, I watched him with, with the Rays. He was always a good offensive catcher. Uh, I liked the signing, right? One year, like $2 million with the, the Tigers. I, I loved the signing as far as what he can provide with the bat. I questioned whether or not he's the best catcher you want to be uh, trying to uh, develop young pitchers uh, from the, the defense standpoint. But the bat... Uh, it was I thought still still there, and uh, his early season showing. It's nice to see that. I got one more bat on my list. The big guy in Toronto, who is showing some extended power as he's always hit the ball hard, and we've always said he hits the ball really hard, but he hits it on the ground. But Vlad Junior's at five, four home runs already, hitting four twelve, and I, I've been impressed. Vlad looks Vlad looks like he's figured it all out a little bit here. And uh, definitely something needed again for Toronto to take the next step. They need some of their key cornerstone pieces to take the next step in their development. And uh, nice save, by the way. Uh, but the uh, nice to see him uh, taking that next step, getting a little more. Again, you just need the exit velocity has always been there, but it's launch angle. Uh, and now that launch angle has come up to at least produce some early season homers. We'll monitor how that continues uh, uh, throughout the. Uh, the rest of the year. As we switch to pitchers, Tyler Glasnow uh, had two uh, starts this week, uh, a masterful uh, performance uh, earlier in the in the week here, uh, and completed with uh, a game. It was a 14-strikeout performance there, but I have his numbers at 12.2 innings pitched over two starts, four hits, five walks, one run given up, 21 strikeouts. Uh, against the Yankees, I was more impressed because he had the 14-strikeout performance uh, earlier in the in the week, and, and like almost eight innings uh, pitched there, excellent to see. And yes, the Rays will let you actually go beyond five innings. It is it is possible in Tampa Bay, uh, but I was more impressed with his five inning start versus the Yankees uh, on Saturday. Hmm? He didn't have his best stuff. You could tell he was like at different points the mechanics were off. He more walks than, than normal with him. He, could, he was not comfortable. You could see all of those things. And to me, the, the difference between a good pitcher and an elite pitcher is what you do when you don't have your best stuff. Uh, I forget who it was that broke it down this way, that if you're talking 30 starts, you're going to have uh, at least five starts where everything is working. Uh, every pitch, wherever you want it, your, your dominant starts, where your A stuff, your A game, it's all there. You'll have five clunkers as well. It's the middle stuff. It's when things aren't quite there. How do you navigate uh, within it? He In different years, he could have been gone after like three innings, gave up five, six runs, and, and been out of the game. He navigated through that five innings, only gave up uh, one run. Uh, and to me, that was more impressive in his development turning into a full-fledged ace than the 14 strikeout performance that he did early in the week. So I've seen two of the three starts. I didn't see the one where he had the walks later in the week, but but I've been I've been impressed with how much how reliant he has become on the slider cutter thing. 
And so I'm using Mike Curlin's amazing chart where he's now listing all the different pitches and all the different velo changes. And so he's throwing it 30% of the time. So some of these people you hear talk of a new pitch and it's okay. We're throwing it twice a game, right? Yep. And he is, it has become a three pitch pitcher where he's actually throwing it considerably more now than the curveball. And if that's the case, it's always two pitch pitchers have a problem when a, you can't control one pitch for even a day, right? Cause then you can lay off the other pitch or B, they look too much alike. Well, that was never the problem with him. It was always, can he control one? Because otherwise, you just lay off. But if he has a third pitch, the sky's limit, right? If the ceiling goes up exponentially, and he finally found it. It used to be, again, because people follow the old flow chart with things. If you have a nice fastball and you have a good off speed, now you also need, you need to have a changeup. And so people were more plugged into specific pitches they needed to have, and some guys didn't have it. Uh, and for him, the changeup never worked. Now he's still trying to throw it a couple. Like there's, it's still he's trying to to figure it out uh, within it. But he hasn't been able from like a uh, batters can tell because because he can't keep the same arm uh, velocity like that way the same way. And so you can you can pick up the tendency and you know that the pitch is coming. So You're that's why the changeup, yeah, changeup n- never worked in that regard. Scrapping that, and it doesn't matter what third pitch it is. As long as pitch tunneling is there, and as long as the pitch is good, it really doesn't matter what the third pitch is. This one is. This was probably the biggest difference maker for anyone in the uh, any player coming into this year as far as new developments or new skills learned. Tyler Glass now developing a third effective pitch completely changes his, his ceiling and launches him now into that elite category of pitchers in the American League. He's got to be one of the favorites for the... Cy Young Award, you know, three weeks in here. But, yeah, he's, his new pitch is amazing. The only other person who I've seen who really is throwing a new pitch routinely and effectively is actually Jake Junis with the with the Royals. He's developed a cutter, and it's been – I think he had a five-inning no-hit bid thing the other day, and so it's been really impressive. Uh, that'll be one of the things we'll talk about uh, with that team in a little bit. Uh, but you can't talk about Cy Youngs without talking about the reigning Cy Young. Again, we mentioned Shane Bieber. What an amazing start for him. Four consecutive starts of 10-plus strikeouts. Tied Nolan Ryan for most strikeouts in first four starts of season. Uh, you can talk about Jake DeGrom. You can talk about Corbin Burns. And you, of course, can't talk pitchers this week without mentioning Carlos Rondon. No hitter. It's an awesome story, too. So he's a former third overall draft pick in the MLB draft and injuries times of ineffectiveness due to being overly wild and it's kind of become a what could have been story with Carlos Rodon and this was he sort of put it all together and this is a lot of that new pitching coach that we've heard they really like there it's the guy who fixed Lucas Giolito when he was trending towards being a what could have been pitcher and Rodon was a toe away from a perfect game. It clipped the toe in the, I think there was one out in the ninth yeah. inning and got still no walks, no hits, but an, an amazing effort. He was, he looked great that night. I think he threw 114 pitches or something and he was still bringing it 99 in the ninth inning. So we'll see. with Tony LaRusso, you'd like, I'd like to think that they will limit his pitches a little bit going forward because you don't want him to get hurt, but it's Tony LaRusso. So he could throw 130 next game. Tony, you're really killing my team Tony. there, dude. Uh, Let's talk, guys, uh, old faces and uh, and new uh, roles. Anyways, David Price uh, uh, moved into bullpen with the different thing with the Trevor Bauer uh, uh, deal. There, uh, accepted the role well. 
dominating in that role. This week, three appearances, four innings pitched, two hits, one walk, eight strikeouts. Uh, Again, as if they needed more pitching talent on this team. He's always had this. Another guy who took last year off, right? We didn't see him last year, so the question was always going to be innings. Well, you move him to the bullpen, and innings doesn't become a question anymore. And he, he, I'm trying to think, did he ever pitch the bullpen with the Rays? When he first came like up. Like in the bullpen, in the uh, playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, the that playoffs. Was, that was it, and that was uh, back when, I, that was one of the ones where it's, it's weird. You know, he came up, he had an amazing slider. Uh, that, that, that sweeping slider, when you look at the 2008 playoffs uh, against the Boston Red Sox, that thing was unbelievable. You never saw it again. Mm-hmm. The following year, he didn't have it. It's amazing to me how that can just quickly go like that. But he's uh, whatever he's pitching right now, he's doing well. It's working well, and it just lengthens that bullpen even more. They've gotten Kenley Jansen's looked really good so far after as a lot of people doubt him, but he's looked really good. Knable from the Brewers has bounced back and helped them. And then I think they're getting bruised our Gratterall back today. So uh, a strength for most, it may be the weakness on the Dodgers, but that would be a team – at most teams' strength would be the Dodgers' bullpen. If we're going to talk about on a heater, let's talk about on a heater play. Uh, Mookie Betts be uh, one of the top plays of the year. Uh, game-saving catch uh, out in center field, laid out for it. Uh, and the uh, excellent series, first round, uh, uh, first uh, come to blows uh, with uh, Dodgers-Padres, uh, lived up to the billing. Most uh, Major League Baseball pundits Watched that series this week, had high things to say about it. If you had a chance to watch it, I'm sure you did too. But that game-saving catch for Betts last night. Yeah, so there's two outs in the ninth. I'm trying to think who was pitching. Because Knable already went out. It doesn't matter. But there's second and third with two outs. I think it was Tommy Pham at the plate. It was Tommy Pham at the plate, yeah. Tommy Pham hits a ball into right center field, which I don't know. I think it's StatCast or someone comes up with a catch percentage or catch probability, and it was 10%. But 10% is not Mookie Betts, so he gets a great jump on the ball, lays MVP out. MVP for a reason. And saves the game. And like you said, it's, it's a tie game at that point. And if he misses that, it probably goes beyond him, and you're looking at at least third. So, so yeah, that's the reason that you make a trade for a guy like that and pay him all the money because that's a win for him. Before I jump past it, any other pitchers that you wanted to highlight from this week? Nope. I got I have Glass now, Burns, and Rodon, so don't, we got him. Let's uh, talk teams. Uh, you know, and this time of year you learn, and this is important for another team we're going to talk about later, you don't write anyone off after the first two weeks or three weeks of the year or four weeks of the year. Uh, but we did mention last week just how awful the Oakland Athletics looked to start the year the first couple of weeks. And what a difference a week makes. Seven straight uh, wins, uh, and this team looks completely different from what they did last week. Again, you have the ebbs and flows. You have the streaks that come and go, uh, and they have bounced back in, in a hurry. I've been impressed with Oakland, too, actually, lately. And it, the question with Oakland, I guess, is always, are they going to get on base enough? And the last week it has been, but it's a team that tends to strike out a little bit more than for a team that was built on on-base percentage for a long time. This team strikes out a lot now. So when they get on base, you're going to score runs. <laughs> Up until today, it was an eight-game winning streak with the Los Angeles Dodgers. That team's really good, and it could get better. I said, Ballinger's hurt. We haven't seen Tony Gonsolin yet. He's still on the IL. And, yeah, that that team is going to cruise to 90 wins. As a matter of, can, are they going to get to triple digits? I think so. At this point, it seems like a very likely conclusion they will get there. 
Now they're gonna they're gonna have a stretch where they probably lose six of ten, seven of ten, but they're going to have plenty of stretches where they win seven of ten too. Uh, if you're betting on any team that's gonna have the longest win streak of the year or most games, like most seven game winning streaks uh, in a, in a season, I, the Dodgers are a pretty safe bet. Yeah. Uh, let's go into it. You got burned. Uh, statement uh, statements that were made this past week. Uh, I'll start us off with the Rays versus Yankees, and I'll start it off in 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 this way. Uh, at the beginning of the year, even uh, on MLB Tonight or, or the MLB Network, there was the uh, can the the Rays catch up to the Yankees uh, in the division? And again, I still go back to it's still your division until someone proves otherwise. Uh, so the and at this point, for it to be a rivalry, doesn't one of the teams actually have to win a game here or there? The Rays are sixteen and five against the Yankees in the last two years, going back to all the twenty twenty and now counting twenty twenty one to start with. Uh, the Rays swept the Yankees this weekend in Yankee Stadium, where they are now eight and one in their last nine contests. Uh, it's not a rivalry, folks, until the Yankees start winning, and this is exactly what they'd say the other way around. So until the Yankees actually prove something, do something. Uh, which, again, fans were extremely uh, uh, upset and frustrated. It's boiling over uh, in New York right now, and we'll talk about that in just a minute too. But uh, statements still uh, by the Rays here in the first two weekends. They've now had two series against the, the Yankees. Rays are 5-1. and one. Uh, It's uh, Rays aren't out of it yet. No, they're not, but... You know, all got to catch Boston still leading the division, right? Boston's been the really impressive team after that's we. That's been the surprise. Yeah, that's they've, been they've the surprising come out, team. Uh, uh, better early on. I want to see the longevity yeah. uh, with this, but again, for them, you're happy to get that type of a start to begin the year. I've been surprised with. I've been surprised with Boston. I've been surprised with how bad the Yankees have looked. Of course, but like I said, it's it's an early season. The lot can change there, and it's going to be a good battle all the way. What statement did you see this week? I want to talk to Seattle Mariners because Kyle Lewis is still gone. We have not seen Jared Kelnick. I, that could very easily happen this week. We're now past the date. And, yeah, they played the Astros minus all those good players, but two of three versus the Astros. They took two of three earlier in the season versus the Twins. They're 10 and six now very early, but the Mariners have looked really good, and that was surprising to me because I thought this would be a team that's probably not very competitive this year. Yeah, there's uh, – they. After all the trades through the through the years, the the talent is starting to show on field. Now, maybe not all of their high end talent is there yet, but this is a, a much more competitive team than perhaps many uh, anticipated with this, and they're they're already showing uh, that out the out the gate. Uh, that's going to be a an interesting division overall because the Angels have looked uh, a little better. The pitch, some of the pitching is starting to come around to give them a little more of a. A uh, little more of a, of a hope there. Obviously, we know what the Astros have done when they can actually be on the field. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to be interesting to see. Now, in Oakland A's have now won seven straight. So you have a very competitive division now. Uh, there's no weak link uh, in that uh, AL West. Seven and nine is the lowest in that division. I was just looking at some of the records in baseball. Do you know who has the current worst record in baseball? Colorado Rockies. You're, you're good, man. You know it. Four and 12. Man, that's a bad team. Sorry. The only reason why I know that is that was the only consolation prize that uh, Yankee uh, uh, media was saying at least. You're not Colorado? Well, yeah, that's it. That's, uh, the, that's the only team that's worse have, than them right now. I have faith the Yankees are going to be better. The problem <laughs> with Colorado is I don't have a whole lot of faith nope. they're going to be better than that. 
last statement from the the first uh, you know the marquee matchup that was there between the the Dodgers and Padres. This weekend reminded me again of, of last year, like when the Padres were surging. The Dodgers reminded them that they're still in, in a another rung up, uh, and you mentioned it already. You Darvish threw everything at him. Like the Padres gave them their best, it just wasn't good enough. Now it's going to be fun baseball all year long, but. Uh, the Dodgers are just a different level, and that's not a knock on the Padres. That's just how good of a team. It's been, what would you say, since the the, uh, uh, the 1999 to 2001 New York Yankees, that was a, an, uh, a team, talent-wise, that was a cut above pretty much everyone else. And I should say 98. Uh, like uh, the Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera, yeah, Andy, Andy Pettit, Pettit, Bernie yeah. Williams teams. Just that was a, a juggernaut. That was the last uh, like, true like Yankee legend team that was there. The two thousand. Are, are you, are you ready team? to com- are you ready to compare that to what the Dodgers have assembled here? I think it's a like this could be an historically good team. That's I don't think anybody doubts that they won the World Series last year. They signed Trevor Bauer as the Cy Young Award winner, right? I saw it this put this way. If you had the option right now, Yankee or sorry, Dodgers versus the field, who are you taking? Yeah, yeah, that's the question. Like, and it, usually it, when you get at something like that, it's you, I always say I'll take the field, right? Just because there's so much going on, but the depth of this team can offer. Where I said we haven't even seen Tony Gonsolin yet. Bellinger has played I think four games, and they're still thirteen and three right now, or whatever it is. That that's the point. Like for most other teams, you're top heavy. If I uh, the Mets lose Jake Degrom. Mm-hmm. It's going to change things. Yep, uh, you can go. You can do that on on almost every team. You take this person away, that's going to severely damage that team. It's not going to be the same level it was. You can do that with the Dodgers, and they're just as good. Take away Clayton Kershaw. Okay, they'll plug in Tony Gonsolin right. when he gets back, or take away Trevor Bauer. You still have the others. Like it's take away Cody Bellinger. Take away Mookie Betts. Like, there's you still have an amazing team. The depth is astounding, and it's just not fair. Uh, who's the, the – his name has escaped me. Who's the new guy that all of a sudden has come out and been the new Kike Hernandez? Oh, Zach McKinstry. They Zach McKinstry. finding these guys that, like, produce at an elite level that are no-namers. Like, this is what you get from small market teams developing or something comes up. The fact that they're able to still find these guys. Yeah, we talked about McKinstry beforehand. So he's been filling in at left and some second, I believe, and – Right now, we're at 304, three home runs, 13 RBIs, seven runs scored. That sounds like if you told me Cody Bellinger had done that by mid-April, I'd say, yep, that's why he won an MVP award. But Zach McKinstry, former 33rd round overall pick, 33rd round draft pick out of Central Michigan. And Unbelievable. playing well for them, as they tend to do. Well, let's look at where's the heat. Uh, players that are not off to uh, a hot start, the frigid air uh, roaming through. Uh you know, the first guy that came to mind for you is Patrick Corbin from the Washington uh, Nationals. So when we did our previews of these teams, I mentioned that I had concerns about Corbin based off last year, more so than I had with Scherzer didn't look great last year at times. I don't have a whole lot of concerns that Max Scherzer's not good. And Strasburg, when he pitches, is going to be good, but he's always hurt. Corbin is at a 21 ERA right now. Now, he is walking over nine batters per nine innings. And... His velocity is like 90 miles an hour, which is where it was last year. And that's the concern because he's a guy who, when he was throwing 95, the slider plays up because he's also basically a two-pitch pitcher, and his slider is really good. But when he's lower, 
he gets killed on that pitch. So 21 year eight, like bad. 13 FIP. So it's a little unlucky. It's not fluky. But that's really bad. And they're paying him so much money. And I think so Patrick Corbin left is on that deal. I think Patrick Corbin is close to washed in his own right. Like close to Madison Bumgarner, as we mentioned last week. That's uh, as far as you look at like the Washington Nationals, and we talked about can they get one more good year out of their veterans that turn things around, or are we at a it's time to burn it down? Uh, and uh, that's going to be an interesting conversation as the year goes on, but there's not many things working uh, in the, the Nationals' favor. Uh, Devin Williams, uh, someone who was as good if not better than Josh Hader last year, emerged onto the scene to give the, the best one-two punch uh, pretty much for a relief duo uh, in the National League and Major League Baseball, not to start the year this year. He's also not getting. He's also not pitching particularly unlucky. He has a 12 FIP to go with his 9 ERA. So, last year we saw one earned run in 27 innings. This year we're at four earned runs in three. It's been home runs. It's been that's been a problem. It's been wild inconsistency. Like his, he can't control his pitches at all. I've watched I think every game that he's been in, and he can't hit the pit where the catcher sets up. He's not hitting that spot, and he's walking too many guys. Now, he had a weird spring training where he did not pitch many innings. I think if they're – now, he won the rookie of the year. He's going to be fine at some point. I don't doubt that. But yeah, It's just a few innings He in needs – if the AAA season was going, he should spend two weeks at AAA to get his like arm built up. They talk that he, he needs to have his arm built up, but right now it's the alt site or it's Major League Baseball, so – They've kept him at Major League Baseball, and maybe the alt site would be better for him. I don't know. What, what they need right now is to, this is how you help out a relief pitcher. Actually, what he needs the most with what you're saying is he needs innings, mm-hmm. but he doesn't need high leverage innings. You need the game when you're up by four or five runs. You're bringing him out there to, to do an inning uh, within it, and you're wanting a few of those types of games because he needs a rhythm. He needs to get the innings out there. He needs to get things back on track. Uh, and so they need to watch their pitching plan with him uh, you don't need him in the uh, the seventh or eighth inning in a one run game right now. That's not where he is. You want to get him there. This is the path to do it. Uh, one of the most streaky hitters uh, in Major League Baseball, uh, Brandon Lau. Uh, there's times when he looks really good. He finished, I think, like sixth in the AL MVP voting last year. Uh, was a big part of the race uh, success on the way to the World Series. But when he's hot, he's hot. When he's not, he's not. We mentioned Lau last year, the, the strikeout rate, right? When he strikes out two years ago, it was 35% of the time. Last year, 25% of the time. This year, we're at 31, so we're getting into red territory there, and some of the hits aren't falling a little bit, but the strikeouts some, are concerning still. Some of it's uh, unlucky. Some of it, you can tell he's still trying to find it at the plate. He's still trying to get it. It's, it's not there yet. You're waiting for it to click. The, the danger always with that is you always get concerned, what if it doesn't click? That's always the scare with a, a guy who's streaky is eventually sometimes those those other streaks don't come. Uh, you feel pretty confident in his abilities that eventually it'll get there, uh, but it's definitely not there to begin the year. Uh, let's talk about uh, famous bloodlines and talk about uh, uh, Mr. Yastrzemski out in the San Francisco. Yastrzemski was a guy that I – is a guy I really like. I think he's going to be okay, but it's not started off very pretty this year. Um, we're at a 167 average. He does have a couple home runs. Now, his once again, 32%. He's striking out right now, and that's never been really him. He's always yeah, been at 24%. So I'm thinking it's probably a small sample size, 
very small sample size. We're two weeks into the season, but got to cut that strikeout rate down. So let's talk teams. Again, this is where we're going to bring up the New York Yankees. Uh, they're coming off now their fifth straight loss. Uh, this is their worst start since 1992. They now have the worst record in the American League. It's early, 100%. That's what you're looking at here. It's early, but what's the problem? Uh, and Fox Sports uh, uh, broadcaster Dontra Willis uh, dissected uh, some of the issues here, and here's the two things that he's pointing out. Number one, biggest problem is the offense. They're relying, relying too much on the long ball. These are not the Bronx, the Bronx Bombers that are being effective right now. They're 17th, 17th in Major League Baseball in home runs. That's not what you expect from that middle lineup. And they are last in baseball in OPS. The slugging isn't there. They're the Bronx, but the bomber part is missing. And because they keep trying to rely on that, the strikeouts are a problem. And this offense just is not effective as it is right now. Yeah, it's been a lot of... It was. Gary Sanchez had the hot start, and it's yep, He's cool. one of the few that's the, uh, uh, DJ LeMay. He was the only one yep. who's hitting consistently with contact. That's the, that's the one, yep. And Aaron Judge is getting some home runs, right? And that's what he does. But like you said, I don't think Glaber Torres has hit one yet. The last I checked, he had not hit one. And you expect it to change, right? Like you said, two, two weeks in, you expect some of this to change. But when they're not hitting home runs in a park designed to hit home runs with an offense designed to hit, to hit home runs. Yeah, you're, you're going to lose a lot of games. There were two home runs hit this weekend where they've, uh, uh, one of the Fox tracks things or Bali sports or whatever they call themselves now, uh, where it says like, and, and how many ballparks would this be a home run? There were two home runs hit that only there uh, would have been a home run out of the other uh, major league ballparks. The one, uh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. The one person I want to talk about that I had high hopes for, but I'm starting to think might just be, not as good as I was always thought was is Clint Frazier. I I'm really concerned that Clint Frazier is just not all that good. Maybe, (laughs) maybe they were right to not play him, but I'm part of it is they're still inconsistent playing time. He's not always playing. They did not do his development. Any favor. I see him going somewhere else and being more effective than he is there because for some reason they won't give him uh, the, uh, the the consistent at bats that you'd want to see within it. Change of scenery time. Maybe. And uh, the other uh, the second part that Dontre Willis mentioned was the, uh, and I, I'm wording it this way, but the it's essentially the Atlanta Braves 2020 rotation problems. They have the dominant ace uh, again. Garrett Cole looked good today, as as he always does. Like that's that's there. Uh, and here's the comparison. And Garrett Cole starts. They are two and one, 1.86 ERA. Which is amazing for everyone else. One and six with an ERA of six. And 10 starts that have taken place. Garrett Cole's amazing, right? We sit here and talk about how great Garrett Cole is for a while, but if you're talking maybe behind Shane Bieber, he's the second most likely player to win the Cy Young Award probably. But, yeah, Corey Kluber, we, I mean, this isn't like anything we didn't say. Corey Kluber hasn't been effective in three years. We basically not seen him pitch in that time. And I, I like Jordan Montgomery. I think he could be good. He's more of a back end of the rotation arm, and they're plugging him in at the three. Jamison Tyone, should be good. I think he. I do think he'll figure it out a little bit better than he has. I have no idea about Domingo Herman, and he's down at the alternate site. Yeah, they uh, send him right to the now. alternate site, and Jordan Montgomery is, is okay. He be, like he'd be a fine bat. They need Luis. Sever- We've said this a couple times. Yeah, they need Severino. Luis Severino, right? There's ace number two that pushes Jamison Tyone to the three, and then maybe Corey Kluber. Maybe Corey Kluber can be okay. Here's what I think of they should do with Corey Kluber. I think they should give Corey Kluber the Ryan Yarborough treatment and give him an opener in front, and he can follow them. 
that's where I think he would be more effective. Put, and I've said, Debbie Garcia should be on this team. I don't know why he's not. He should be up with this team right now. He is every bit as effective as Corey Kluber, except he's, I, I know why he's not. He's much cheaper, and they want to play the guys that they pay. The When you go back to the offense, I, I'm really starting to think they miss Luke Voigt. It wouldn't uh, hurt him. It, it, it really, it, I mean, in terms of like being the, when you have a lot of like, of big name players and and also very good talent, it's hard to say who's the linchpin uh, that makes things go. DJ LeMay, he was a big one, but can you I'm imagine if they had let Luke him Voigt, go? Can you imagine if they had let him go? How bad this could be right now? Absolutely, uh, but I think Voigt coming back changes this offense, uh, and I think we're now starting to see that. How valuable is Voigt overall? Again, he can be overlooked within things when you think of some of the more bigger names. Uh, from uh, Giancarlo Stanton to uh, Aaron Judge, to these guys, I, I think he's going to be a key component there. But the offense is going to eventually hit. I'm not worried long term about their offense. And also, we haven't talked about it yet, but I'm not worried about their bullpen. Their bullpen is very, very good, uh, and it still has been good. That hasn't been an issue for them uh, to start the season. It's the inconsistency of the offense right now, and then it's needing to figure out the rotation behind Garrett Cole. So I just got an update on Luke Voigt because I looked him up because you mentioned him, and it's taking ground balls, and we'll start swinging a bat this week Tuesday. So 10 days, two weeks. May, May 1st maybe. That's about right, and maybe that'll help him out. And, uh, all right, I need to take a shower at this point. I've talked way too much New York Yankees for my comfort level. (laughs) But we're going to move into a a segment uh, called Hot and Bothered uh, as we look at – Things that have been lightning rods, issues that have uh, uh, made either baseball players or others a little more surly about different events and or us as well. Uh, and why don't we start out with that uh, that one to begin with. Uh, uh, it was proposed this week, uh, some changes that were coming to one of the minor league uh, systems, the Atlantic League, uh, some rule changes that were there, and uh, that got your blood pressure uh, uh, boiling just a little bit. I, I've said I. Don't always like it when they change the rules unless you can tell me it's a safety thing. If it's a safety thing, sure, go for it. I'm all for all the rule changes you want to do, Rob. But the Atlantic League, which is, I think, where they started the robo-umps, which I'm okay for. That actually will make this game better, I think. You want to standardize an umpire's strike zone? Go for it. Now, we played, or I've not, we've not played, but Major League Baseball has been played for 130 years at 60 feet, 6 inches from the pitching rubber. They're moving it back one foot in the Atlantic League. 61 feet, 6 inches. Now, why? <laughs> That's always the question here. Why? And he said he wants to improve the entertainment of the sport, which is a fancy way in my mind of him saying, I want more balls in play, right? You don't want the three true outcomes. And there's just so many better ways to do it. They're also doing something called the double hook, where once you take your starting pitcher out of the game, you lose the DH, which is basically what happened when the, when which is what happens when the Angels pitch Otani and hit him when he gets taken out he has to leave DH, and that's fine like that's a, a rule of this game but to make it a new rule where you, it incentivizes leaving your starting pitcher in there to get hit harder or get hurt almost I I just didn't understand that at all well, from that one uh, it, it or it goes the other way where it uh, uh you're trying to get more offense this is a way to actually get less offense. Uh, because you're taking out the the DH to put something else, it you're not getting where you want to go. Same thing with the uh, the uh, the pitch mound change. There's actually been data that's been given that says it actually benefits 
pitchers more than it does uh, hitters because there's more time for the movement on the pitch uh, within it. It has not decreased velocity issues or done anything there to pitcher effectiveness. So, again, it actually has gone in pitcher favor, which is fine if that was your goal. But if your goal is to improve offense, uh, then you're not getting where you want to go. I just hope that like I said, all these pitchers, maybe one foot doesn't matter. I'm not a professional pitcher. Maybe it doesn't matter to them. But if it makes it where breaking balls will hang further in the air, right? It'll be easier to see them, I would think. And I just don't understand why that has to change. It's been great for so long. And it just seems like if the NFL said suddenly we're going to play a 110-yard field. And why? I, I don't get that one. So how would you respond to someone, because there's been some that have brought this up on, on Twitter and social media this past week, that you know the, the NBA has made major changes. They changed the, the three-point line uh, within it. You've had the NFL has changed uh, the full uh, kickoffs being uh, different or the two-point conversion being added. Uh, why is it that Major League Baseball, whenever any change is, is brought up, it's the, you're going to ruin the game, or why are we making any change, or this is the rules the way it's always been. How do you respond to someone who uses the other leagues as an example of more major changes that have been done to improve the either the pace of the game or the excitement of the game versus changes here in Major League Baseball? They can make... I don't want to say that they shouldn't make changes. If if they have problems, you make a change. The, the idea behind the three-point line is it increases scoring and basketball was kind of boring. Like pre shot clock basketball, not all that exciting. You watch some old North Carolina where they literally held the ball for four minutes, passing it to the corners. That was boring. So they needed to change the game. Fine. Anybody who says baseball's boring because the pitching mound is 60 foot, six inches. I have never heard them say that. They say they maybe don't like the three true outcomes. And even people who say that, I, who says that? Like I know people complain about it. Does anybody think that it makes the game less boring? People love home runs. I, I would agree, and again, I think maybe you can make an argument from like the, the defensive shift aspect to be like, well, they did in in basketball they changed it to defensive three seconds. Could this be a similar thing? Maybe, it but could but be. to me, it doesn't. It, it, it I don't think it, it helps hitting. you where you want to go. Yeah. It is more or less what it uh, what it is what it is to me. But I think we're in agreement here. But it's it just comes down to if you don't want your players to shift. And I watched. I think it was it was. Did the Rangers play the Rays this week? They did, right? Earlier in the week, it was Rangers-Rays. I think so, yeah. Because it was Joey Gallo versus the Rays, and they had one guy on the entire left-hand side of second base. They played the four-outfielder thing and dropped the third baseman between second and short, and all he could have, I mean, if he could have plopped it over into somewhere, anywhere's into left field, he probably scores. All he has to do is hit it into left field, and he probably scores an inside the park home run, but he pulls it into the shift, and... I love Joey Gallo watching Joey Gallo play. He draws a ton of walks. He hits a hundred home runs. He can even steal bases. But is he a very good hitter? No. But does it make him any less exciting? No. Everybody loves watching a guy that big hit home runs. So it's an exciting game still. And the this still comes back to it. It's all about how you teach it. So if, if you don't want the three outcomes, then stop having players focus on launch angle. Watch Nick Madrigal uh, play baseball. Like, yeah, I was going to say, there's, it's, there's different ways to get to the answer again. I don't think... I have no confidence in Major League Baseball to actually get uh, this way to, to accomplish their goals. Uh, I don't think they get there. All the, all that's going to happen is, like you and I, I think, would say, if there is a change that makes sense, uh, that's logical, it's been thought out, it's going to improve the game, uh, as, as baseball, uh, uh, those that love the original game, 
conservative within it would would be fine with that type of change. I don't trust Ron, Rob Manfred to actually do it well, and I don't want to change for change's sake. That that last sentence, right? That's what it always comes down to. Sure, I don't want to be the curmudgeon here saying, no, this is a perfect game. You can't... Sure, there's always things you can change about it, but it has to have a reason for it. And a lot of this, I said, I'm fine with the robo-umps. Actually, get them up here. I've seen some terrible umpiring this year, and you will tell me that the, the strike zone is standardized. I'm all for that. Then at least we know what we're seeing. But these fake rule changes or like modifications to things that aren't needed. It's just annoying. Well, let's talk about uh, a few other hot and bothers. We have first uh, Fernando Tatis shoulder. Nothing has been more uh, talked about in major league baseball this week uh, than the shoulder of one of the most exciting uh, players in the game. We mentioned it last week uh, at the, on the uh, body heat of that being an issue. And now the concern has been because the, uh, GM Preller said, like, oh, no, he'll be back in 10 days. When you talk to anyone in the medical field with him saying, that type of injury needs more time than that, and yet he, in 10 days he's back. So what's what's going on here, and uh, how concerned are you about not only Tatis short-term but Tatis long-term with this approach? So we said, Fernando Tatis is probably baseball's most marketable star, right? He's got the cool hair. He wears the cool glasses. He's young. He's fun. And he came back and he hit a home run. So what is he, 21, 22 now? I don't know. He's pretty young. And they just sent him to this massive contract. And he plays really hard. And he plays a really tough position on shoulders where you have to dive and make plays. And... I want to see Fernando Tatis for the next 10 years be one of the best players in this game. He could be Ronald Acuna. He could very easily be that type of a player. And I don't want him to go out there, pop his shoulder out of the socket every 30 days or whatever and miss and then eventually have some long-term nerve damage and we don't get to see what could be an incredible career. And so I get the Padres want to gain games. I get that. You're also in April 15th, right? It's April 15th. Get, give the guy the time that's needed. And they must have doctors. I'm sure they have doctors that say this is okay. But like you said, everybody that you hear from in this, other than with the Padres, says... Has a whole different opinion. Give the guy the time that's needed and get his shoulder healed. And I mentioned Miguel Andujar last week. And Miguel Andujar is never the caliber of player that Fernando Tatis is, even though he almost won the Rookie of the Year award. But he had the same issue. And after having almost a Rookie of the Year winning season... We've never seen him again because basically his shoulder is destroyed. Last I knew he was at the alt site for the Yankees last year, never got called up. And I don't want Fernando Tatis's career to be not decimated. I don't know what the word would be like harmed or not as impacted good. Impacted for impacted. sure. That's even a better word. Impacted from this. I want to see Fernando Tatis be great for 10 more years in this game. I am also starting to have skepticism on the Padres medical staff, not just because Tatis, because again, you can say like, well, they, they have the reports, right? They, they have the actual information. Everyone else is just speculating. True. Very true. But I also don't like Denelson Lament uh, is another example of someone who they they danced around with as far as his, his shoulder. And again, maybe these are just two things that are together. You can't necessarily say one plus one equals two here. But when you start having these types of lingering issues that don't seem to be necessarily giving the best medical advice, uh, you start to have more pause or more concern. Yeah, Lamette was great last year for him, and then it was a shoulder thing, and then suddenly it was, oh, he can't pitch the playoffs, where they probably could have really used him if they wanted to win. 
And then it was offseason. No, he's not going to get surgery. He's got some pain in his shoulder, though. We're going to be fine. He'll be back. He'll be back. And we saw him pitch a little bit in spring training, and suddenly his shoulder flared up again. And we haven't seen him pitch yet this season. Now, last I heard, he was close to a return. And I hope he's fine, right? I, I said, I... I hope I am completely wrong, and Fernando Tatis is great all year. I this if I am wrong on this, I will be very happy. But you cannot at this point, with good conscience, say that you have any faith in the. I don't have any faith in the Padres' injury or training staff at this point to say that this is completely above board and everybody's going to be fine. Something we'll be watching all year long. Uh, when it gets to actual players and managers that are hot and bothered this past week, Craig Council had a few things to say about the uh, suspension issues that took place between the Cubs and Brewers this past weekend. Again, we've noted that uh, rivalries have been extra heated uh, to begin the year from uh, Brewers-Cubs to uh, Padres and uh, uh, Dodgers. Kershaw and Profar had a shouting match take place there. Yankees and, and Rays are still dealing with uh, beanball issues and uh, with Craig Council with it, you had the, you know, Brandon Woodruff hit a couple of guys, and then you can tell the Cubs retaliated with an intentional pitch against him that went behind him. And uh, I would repeat what Brandon Woodruff said, but that's not, uh, I think, allowable in most circles. So, so Wilson, this goes back to the first series. Wilson Contreras got hit in the head by Devin Williams, who I said has absolutely no control right now. And I'm, and I am very confident he did not mean to hit him in the head. And then he got hit the next day. And it's been a lot of hit-by-pitches. I don't know if – I have not watched every game, obviously. I've pr- probably tried to watch two per night at least, and one of them is usually the Brewers. But the Brewers have gotten hit by a lot of pitches this year, and maybe it's just early in the season. These guys are not as accurate. I don't think a lot of them have been intentional, but they've been hit by a lot. And, yes, they hit some of the Cubs in that series. And all the among all these three rivalries you're talking about, one of the things that they all have in common is each of these teams thinks they're going to compete this year. So there's always going to be bad blood there. But – after Woodruff, I think he did he hit Contreras. I don't remember who he hit. He hit someone, and then Contreras. Tapera threw it behind him as like a hundred miles an hour at a pitcher's legs, and he didn't even after the, they worn both benches or whatever. He didn't get thrown out, but after the game, he was like, "Yep, I threw it at him. It was he needed it or whatever." And he got a three game suspension, and David Ross got a one game suspension, and I'm sure they'll appeal it, and it'll probably be like one game and no games. But yeah, council let it be known that this is ridiculous and. Baseball, you keep constantly siding with the big market teams, which I actually hadn't thought about until him and you pointed it out. (laughs) This is MLB has a policing problem. That's where we are right now. You can take it back to last year with uh, Rays and Yankees. Uh, and Kevin Cash came out already this year and saying they 100% uh, MLB 100% mishandled the situation. They didn't handle what took place between uh, Aroldis Chapman and Mike Brousseau last year with what needed to be done. They only gave him uh, a three-game suspension, uh, and then they allowed him to uh, serve it the following year when three games on a 60-game season is far different than three games on a 162-game season. Uh, and because they never stepped in and addressed it, Kevin Cash has already blamed him. That's part of the reason why we still have the ongoing issues that have still spewed over into this year. And what we note with those both of those things, Cubs and Brewers, uh, Cubs being lighter sentence. Well, what's the issue? Brewers small market. Yankees raise. What's the issue here? Big market team versus small market team. Baseball is consistently now siding with these big market teams. And what they don't understand is when you come off lenient like this, 
you don't give any reason for anyone to stop their behavior. So that's why these things go on. There's no deterrent that is here. MLB 100% has a policing problem. And when you start going, especially when it's blatant, when it's 100% a roll this Chapman threw at Mike Brousseau's head, plain as day. When you have the Cubs pitcher throwing, at, uh, and again, that another 100-mile-an-hour ball at a pitcher's legs, and he comes out and says it's intentional. You have to come down hard on that. Like it's not. It's one thing when they when they can wink and say, "Oh, yeah, like this was uh, this was an accident." It got away from me. When when you don't have that plausible deniability, you do have to come out hard, and they're not doing it, and it's just going to lead to more issues. Well, it's going to lead to more. I'm, I, the Brewers and the Cubs are going to play each other. I don't know, fourteen more times this year or yeah. something like that, probably. So, and the Rays and the Yankees. Uh, how is it? Has there been any throw hit by pitches in that series? I have not watched more than two games. I don't think there has been. A, the Yankees have hit Rays uh, uh, in every game oh, really? at this point. It's, it's been an issue. Mm-hmm. Now some some intentional, some not. Yeah, sure. Uh, but it, it, it's, it it's definitely like, been an issue. I don't want to say that all hit by pitches are intentional or whatever. Like you can tell sometimes when it's an intentional and when it's not, and they all have to be. You can't just have one rule that makes up for all hit by pitches, right? You can't just say oh, all hit by pitches, you get thrown out. I get that. That doesn't make any sense. But there's clearly times when there needs to be more of a punishment than others. Coming up next, we're going to take a look at some more hot button issues as we look at uh, CBS uh, has an article on the Angels and Reds off to promising starts. Whose start are you buying? Hottest rookies of the early season from MLB.com. Uh, and Ken Rosenthal from The Athletic has five possible ways to improve MLB's instant replay system. We'll talk about that next. You can take away our phones and you can take away our keys, but you cannot take away our dreams. That's right, because we're like sleeping when we have them. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response, were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought? Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. And we're back here as we talk about some of the hot button issues that we have moving forward here. What do you got over there? What's your first one? Well, let's talk about because instant replay has been an issue as we've begun the year. Uh, and uh, Ken Rosenthal from The Athletic has uh, an article this week on five possible ways to improve instant uh, MLB's instant replay system. And so I wanted to give you the, uh, the five that he is suggesting and for you to uh, get your your thoughts on it. So... As we look at uh, the first thing that he's talking about is, uh, number one, ignore the call on the field. Yeah, that's tough because we've seen – okay, so I don't want to compare him always to the other sports, but you always have to have a call on the field so you know what you're even looking at, right? Like it's hard to just say we're going to completely ignore it and say, oh, we don't know if it's safe or out, and you you always want to believe it. But there are are true ties in this game. It's always been tie goes to the runner, right? So – it's hard to just ignore what's been on the field. 
And what about uh, replacing the umpires at the command center with independent experts? I just it, What is an independent expert, right? Like, who is an independent expert? Yes. I, sure, of course you'd want independent experts. Everything wants independent people where you don't have any bias. But who is that? If, if you can find someone like that, yeah, sure, why not? And one of the things he mentions is this being a, a less likely scenario is that the, the learning curve that it takes to get someone there, and we already have a low patience threshold for this being bungled as much yes, as it's been. Yes, we do. Uh, what about making more calls reviewable? Does uh, doing more actually help overall? Well, like, okay, so the the one that really got people upset, and rightfully so, is the Mets, was it? It was Michael Conforto, right, who you leaned in and got, got hit it. by the pitch and is hit by pitch and basically won the game for him and was told not reviewable. Yeah, that I, it's just hard to draw the lines more. I don't want what I don't want is balls and strikes to be reviewed ever. Like, yeah, there's Wait always until you get the robot uh, right. Uh, when you get the robot umpire, it shouldn't yep. even be an issue, but I don't need that reviewed. I I guess you can review it. I just want obvious calls to be right. Like that's what I want, but but how do you say that? Uh one suggestion has been to make a replay official a fifth member of the umpiring crew, so bringing someone in with each crew at each stadium. It makes it more accountable, I guess. Like, that should up the accountability a little bit, but so he's kind of contradicting himself because if you have that, then it's not an independent person. So, Yeah, these are not necessarily five that you would do together, but okay. just five of the leading ideas that are out there. I mean, it would it would help if you have just one guy focused on each game, I guess. So that would be more like the college football one, where you have an umpire in the state, like up in the stands or whatever, who can just say this looks wrong from your call on the field. More like call it down. I would hope that I'd be okay with that one. The likelihood of that though is not significant because Major League Baseball has invested Cash. almost like fifty million dollars uh, into their their fancy schmancy uh, command center in New York. And again, Major League they Baseball. want their control. We're uh, operating out of out of uh, New York and the executive League. office versus down at the field. Major League Baseball can waste money as well as our government, and that's saying something because they can also Very waste true. money really well. The last one is offer great transpa- offering greater transparency. Every, everything you want greater trans like I said the government right I want to see what they're spending their money on but I don't always know what they're doing everything you want greater transparency on now how do they do that once again if you can do it sure go for it I want to know why suddenly that wasn't reviewable I want to know sometimes why what clearly looks even wrong when they review it Someone, why they ruled it like that I was going to say there needs to be like and I was talking to I think to, just to Amanda this week that nice. my idea on this one was if you want greater uh, transparency, more accountability, if a play got overruled uh, or whatever was decided, you need to now provide that, like, 10-second video Basketball. clip. Basketball, oh, I'm sorry. And as so you have that, here's the clip, here's here's the, the clip, here's why we're ruling this way. Bas- and this way you have it right there. That's as transparent as it gets. Basketball's went out of its way this year that when they review a play, the now it's partially because there isn't fans as many times, so they look right into the camera on the TV and they say, this is... The new ruling, and this is why, and I guess it's been well-received. Sometimes basketball the re- replays get a little overboard, I think. So I don't what want even to get... NFL does that they, they explain yeah. the call versus what do you have in Major League Baseball? You have the <laughs> thumbs up, thumbs down, it is the rule, and then no one says anything. Yeah. So you yeah, need I to agree. actually offer an explanation there within it. But do you really want to hear Joe West and others rant and rave any more than what they already do as umpires? So it's too I, much. They're, they, they like to put themselves too much into the game already. Here's the, the true problem, and you and I talked about this off air. The true problem about anything with instant replay is it comes down to this. Do you have or what is your level of confidence on a scale of 1 to 10 
and Rob Manfred and the MLB executive office in actually fixing the problem and improving instant replay. If he gave it to, like, that's where you can hire the independent contractor or whatever. Like, hire someone to tell you how to do this. Outsource it. Yeah, outsource it. Perfect wording. Thank you. And then I would have a lot of faith that somebody would come up with some good ideas and maybe get this fixed. If you just give it to Rob Manfred, I said, he's too worried about moving the mound back. Like, that's not your problem. Fix your problems, dude. So, no, I don't have any three, maybe tops, two, three, somewhere in there. And then what's your uh, confidence level on uh, the MLB executive administration being willing to outsource this to not their control? Nope. No, no, they, I don't even know they, if I call it a one. I call it a no. negative one. Yeah, they don't have. They're uh, not going not to give up any power. They love the. We said we just wait till this off season and we get to hear talk about unions and negotiations again. Oh, it's going to be a great time. Well, let's talk about uh, more promising things. Promising starts. The uh, Los Angeles Angels and the Cincinnati Reds are off to uh, better starts uh, uh, to begin the year. Uh, article from the CBS uh, MLB Roundtable talking about those two teams and their their better starts. Which team, uh, the Angels or the Reds, are you more buying their initial start? Probably the Reds, actually. I, I like the Angels. I don't want to sit here and say I don't like the Angels because, I said, they have two or three of the best players in the game on your team, but... The Reds are getting some hits to drop. Joey Votto looks really good so far early in the season, like revitalized, and they haven't had Sonny Gray yet. And I think last week you said Luis Castillo wasn't pitching part, at least effective, or the numbers didn't look great, but I think he looked pretty good, actually. So, yeah, the Reds still have Luis Castillo, who's a bona fide ace, which I'm still not always sure the Angels have. Heaney's looked pretty good. Bundy's looked okay, but Johnson Luis Castillo. Yeah, and the Reds have had some, some great hitting. So I, I buy the Reds as being at least – a contender for the NL Central, and that's certainly possible. For fantasy baseball fans out there, uh, dive a little deeper at uh, Alex Cobb from the Los Angeles Angels. Look under the hood for him if you're looking for a an underrated pitcher to try to pick up or trade for. Uh, what I heard from social media this week was the thing has returned. That's Alex Cobb's changeup. Uh, back when he was with the Rays, that thing was like a, it's a split changeup. That thing gets buried. He produces a ton of ground balls. It's where he gets his strikeouts. It's what made him effective, and he hasn't had it for a number of years with various injury issues. Some people have already come out and said that it sure looks back. Uh, and if that's the case, you are looking at a, a pitcher that can give you a sub-4 ERA, uh, give you innings, uh, and again, someone that you can add in. He's not going to be at the top of your fantasy team, but he is. Those are the types of guys that help bring up your your floor uh, and allow your your other guys to go. So definitely take under, a more look under the hood for Alex Cobb if you're looking for some extra pitching help or finding someone who maybe isn't paying attention and try to trade for him and put him on your team. Uh, hottest rookies of the early season. MLB.com had a, a nice article out there on a bunch of uh, names that are are listed there. Uh, you had a chance to check out that article too. What was uh, your thoughts on their rookies or which one stood out to you uh, from uh, that particular article? Oh, there's, I was very impressed with that article. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to bring it up quick. And MLB.com, that was written by Sam Dykstra. And their number one was Yerman Mercedes. I mentioned Yerman Mercedes that first week and still hitting with the White Sox. Tony has not benched him yet like he's doing to my boy Andrew Vaughn. And as long as he keeps hitting, he seems to be in the lineup. They had Phil Evans, number two on their lineup. Philip Evans is an interesting one. So 28 years old, like Phil, you're pause, Mercedes. Pause, pause. We are now at our Pittsburgh yes, positive moment of the of the podcast here. Continue. He's replaced Key Brian Hayes, who is, I think, both of our picks for NL Rookie of the Year and yep. done pretty well over there. 
I think Key Brian Hayes should be back in a couple weeks, but at this point, you're, they're going to find a spot for Philip. It's certainly not like they have they don't have gaps, although they just beat the Brewers two of three, but they have plenty of gaps on their team to find a spot for Phillip Evans, and if you're hitting, keep playing them, right? There's an, another player that we haven't mentioned too much yet who's been off to a, a crazy start. Cool name as well, Akil Badu. Yeah, I, I remember I at least mentioned that he got he was the first pick in the Rule 5 draft this year, so the Tigers have to keep him on the roster, or he goes back to the Twins, where he was a pretty good prospect, I don't know, two, three years ago, uh, and whatever reason, something changes, and yeah, he's been stealing bases, hitting home runs, and another team for, I think, we, we talk about the Tigers not being particularly necessarily a great team, but they have a pretty good outfield, but he's been taking playing time away from Victor Reyes, and they still, and Jacoby Jones, so yeah, I, I like Akil Badu. I think he's going to continue to play a lot this season, and when we come back at, at the end of the year, I would not be surprised if Akil Badu wasn't the best of the rookies, at least among Yerman Mercedes and Philip Evans. Well, uh, as we uh, this weekend celebrated uh, Jackie Robinson Day uh, in Major League Baseball around various uh, stadiums uh, throughout Major League Baseball. Uh, there was uh, an article that was written from NBC Sports, and I want to try to give credit to the person who did it, but it's more of an AP article, so I'm not getting uh, a specific name. Uh, but uh, they talked to Jimmy Rollins uh, about uh, the decline of, of black, black players in Major League Baseball. And uh, when Jimmy Rollins made his first all-star team as a rookie with the Philadelphia Phillies 20 years ago, the percentage of black players in the majors was 13%. It's down to 7.6% this year. Uh, in that article, he talks about a few various things. For He says there's more than just one thing. Uh, as he talks over what is the reason for this decline. Number one, he says marketing. And he looks at and compares it to other uh, leagues, uh, professional sports leagues. Then he also talks about some other uh, social economical factors. Uh, and I, you and I talked about this uh, off air a bit, but what is your thoughts on Jimmy Rollins' assessment uh, of uh, African-American players in Major League Baseball? If I'm a top-end athlete, which all these guys are, right? Most All these guys are great athletes. And I'm watching the three professional sports leagues. Like, I love baseball, right? So I'm going to pick baseball, but... The NBA is way better at marketing its players. They are, you can see LeBron James everywhere. You can see Giannis Antetokounmpo anywhere. You see Steph Curry anywhere. How many commercials do you see with Mike Trout? How many commercials do you see with Fernando Tatis? What about Ronald Acuna? I bet you I could show a picture of Ronald Acuna to 20 people, and two of them might know him, right? Like, there's literally people who will not know them. Uh, let's put it this way, because this actually across uh, cross leagues, but uh, impacts Major League Baseball. This could, I suppose, been on and hot off the press. I didn't think of it till now. Uh, Alex Rodriguez was part of the team, uh, part of the ownership group now that has bought the Minnesota Timberwolves. I think uh, what I was going to bring up quickly with that was uh, with him, they asked Carl uh, Anthony Towns what he thought of the, the new ownership group and what he thought of Alex Rodriguez, had absolutely no clue who he was. Yeah, and You're he's, talking about one of the best uh, baseball players for a decade. And he's still, uh, like, Carl Anthony Towns is young, but he's not that young, right? Like, A-Rod was still playing when he was, was alive. That was more of a damning statement to me as yeah. far as people not knowing anything in, in Major League Baseball. They're terrible. They're very bad at marketing their players. We, I still don't know why we can't get the live mics during a game. Like, it would be so much better. Just a half inning. Just a half inning. Put it on Francisco Lindor. He's a superstar, right? He should be a superstar. You should see Francisco Lindor plastered over everything in New York. But you don't. And 
that's a problem. And I said, Ronald Acuna, great player. Should be everywhere. Fernando Tatis, should be everywhere. You should see him this on is all sorts of stuff. This is an exciting sport. Yeah. But it's not marketed no. in that way. Again, when we can even say that that Mike Trout barely gets marketed, and he's one of the best athletes on the planet, period, regardless of sport, because he plays out on the West Coast. It, no one no one sees a game. It, it's 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 astounding to me how we can have such a, a major marketing disparity versus other sports. And then we talked about before we started, you know, the, so if I want to play football, I really, if you want to play it, technically you need a field and you need pads, but I can go grab a football and find five guys and we can, somebody can be a quarterback and we can play catch, right? And run routes and score touchdowns. Easy. Baseball, all you really need is a bat, a ball, and some gloves, which it's hard, but it's not that hard. And basketball, you need a bat, you need a basketball, and to need some hoops. So we talk about, you know, you need all this equipment. Yeah, you do to some extent, but if you don't have a catcher, all you really need is gloves and a bat and a ball. When we talk about, again, like uh, when you're, the social economical factors, you can do one-on-one. You don't need many people when it comes to basketball, so you oh. could do that. Football, you can toss it around that way. It's very simple. The The challenge, they say, is like you, how much space you need for a field to actually play baseball, and you need nine people on each team to do it that way. So uh, there's some things that are involved, but if you go back 100 years ago, stickball and stuff that was done just in the uh, in the street uh, that was there, that wasn't an issue. They found a way to make it work. So why is that not there? And he, and he specifically mentions, you know, stickball isn't played in, in the urban areas. Yeah. And it's because the other sports have marketed or done that better, where why would I play this random thing this way when I can go play that much easier here? And bas- basketball's the best at their marketing. I'd I love football. I love actually I don't mind basketball. It's not my favorite, but football's great, but basketball's they got the best marketing crew and they've taken advantage of social media and I can probably pick up Twitter on my phone right now and scroll through and see somebody having a great night or throwing down a dunk or something, but I you have to search, right, to find that Mookie Betts play. That should have been on everything. You didn't as far as I know, you yeah. didn't seen it until I talked about it before we started this podcast, right? Didn't see a thing. Yeah, and that's an amazing play and it should have been everywhere. So baseball has to get better at it. And across the board, not just from a, uh, uh, as far as looking at some of the different, uh, uh, getting different uh, uh, from African-American to other uh, others involved in, in wanting to play the game, but as far as interest in the game, they need to increase their marketing. They need to figure out their marketing if they want this to be, they need to get their marketing up to the 21st century. That's, That's the bottom the, line. Let's talk about Mookie Betts for a second. There's a young African-American who has won an MVP in this game, who is in the Biggest media, maybe the second biggest, I guess, New York, one of the biggest media markets in this world, yes. as far as Los Angeles is concerned. And you don't hear about him, right? Like, he should be everywhere. He should be equals with LeBron James out there, as far as how good he is, how yes. great he is at his sport. But it's just not brought up, sadly. Something that uh, hot stove monitoring, you know, it's very early uh, before talking about uh, potential trade candidates, but things just to keep in the back burner. Uh, again, we talked about Craig Kimbrell 2.0 uh, looking good, and this is a chance to potentially get out of that contract, uh, get something positive value for him if he looks better that way. Again, anyone with the Cubs we're talking about, you know, Chris Bryant is an obvious one, but Max Scherzer, as we talked about before, uh, as the Nationals go down, if he wants to go, uh, to compete for a championship this year, he's an expiring contract. Uh, he can very much be the difference maker within this. Again, seven innings, two hits, ten strikeouts today. Uh, here's someone that I think could be a very much play as a difference maker uh, in a contending teams at the trade deadline. Watch the Yankees there. That is a 100% Yankees, That's a Yankees player move. of I've ever seen one. So 
you want you want to help their team, right? Suddenly you have Garrett Cole, Luis Severino, Max Scherzer. Now you're getting set there. So that's the one that I would watch for there for sure. And there's some of their younger players that they can. Clint Frazier, you can yeah. talk about Frazier, Jordan Debbie Montgomery Garcia. or Debbie Garcia. Like there's easy things that can be done there that makes way too much sense. I hope I don't see it, but as you said it there, it makes way too much sense. So hopefully you don't uh, speak it into existence, as Mr. Ball would say. Uh, let's take a look at uh, Hot on the Trail. Uh, we're going to look at some, uh, as we go back to our uh, some of our, our early season predictions and uh, from players and teams, uh, chance for a couple humble brags as, as we do this. I'm going to first start with Corbin Burns, my uh, NL Cy Young pick. Uh, I'll put it this way, the level of performance that he's had to begin the year, he has faced 62 batters to start the season. He has struck out 30 of them. I think he's uh, well on his way to earning solid uh, uh, contention uh, for that Cy Young pick. He's, I've watched every one of his starts, right? He's looked amazing. He's had a little bit of a Jacob deGrom thing going on where they can't get him a win, but that changed last week. And, yeah, his, his, he's got a basically three pitches now, and he throws the cutter, the two-seamer, and the four-seamer, and they all go 97, and it's really hard to hit when you have pitches that go every direction. The law firm of Woodruff and Burns uh, is uh, showing many positive things in Milwaukee. They start this week. They both pitch, I think, Monday, Tuesday, so they should each have a two-start week this week. Good to see them. And then let's uh, let you uh, uh, talk about uh, you were the one out in front with this before I even saw it anywhere else on, on uh, national media. Uh, high on the Kansas City Royals train uh, bandwagon. Uh, you were, I don't know if you were completely solo on it, but you were the first vocal one that I'm aware of within it. And uh, nothing has happened to this point to change uh, that perspective. They are leading base or the American League Central and they won again today, beating up on the Blue Jays. So a team that I think should be pretty good. Tracking at 9-5 and five right now. Salvador Perez looks great. Got that big contract a few weeks ago. Looking good. Why don't you talk again about Jacob Junis? Uh, he's yeah. someone who you mentioned new pitch uh, so Jake, and impacts. So Jake Junis has been around for a few years, but kind of middling. I wouldn't say he's been good, but very good. So far this season, he's looked great. Uh, five innings. I think he had no hits. He started the year in the bullpen, but broke out a cutter this offseason. I think it was the pitching coach. I'm not sure who it is. said, you should try this cutter. I think it might help with what you got. And he's throwing it 40% of the time and getting a lot of strikeouts out of it this year. So, you know, I'd said the the weakness of this team could be the pitching. And I think they were going to score runs and they've scored runs. But Danny Duffy's looked revitalized too. He's throwing hard. And we've, we've seen stretches of the past of Danny Duffy being really effective. Like prime... I almost said Robbie Ray, uh, better than Robbie Ray, but uh, like prime that type of a strikeout level pitcher where he doesn't tend to walk those many guys. But it, it, the way he started off, he's looked good this year. So yeah, I'm I'm feeling good about the Royals. They look good. I'm going to throw out one other name there for it because before he signed with anyone, you and I were touting we liked the idea of Adam Duvall. Uh, if you want to look for a, a a platoon hitter, but very good platoon hitter. Uh, that can help your offense, who's not going to make a bunch of money. Uh, Adam Duvall, this past week, 296 batting average, 345 on base percentage, 778 OPS, three home runs, and 10 RBI. Uh, he has uh, he won a game for the Marlins on like, a two-homer night uh, this week. Uh, exactly the type of pitcher or the type of hitter that we said would go well for the way that the Marlins have constructed their roster, and he has been very effective for them. Duvall streaky, right? So yep. he's he's in a hot streak this last pet or this last week, and he'll have streaks stretches like this. I think it was maybe it was maybe also know we talked about last week. It started off cold and he's still cold, but he'll have a streak where he gets hot and raises the average up to two thirty. But at the end of the year, Duvall's probably going to hit 
30 home runs, probably. He's, we've seen him do it a couple of years with the Reds, but he's probably going to hit 240 doing it. But that's a good good signing for the Marlins. And uh, I suppose this would be the perfect time for you to talk about uh, your pitcher. Oh, yeah, my man, Aaron Nola, right? So Nola, nine innings today, two hits, ten strikeouts. That was my Cy Young pick. So Shut out. Per, uh, on a per-inning basis, your boy Corbin Burns is going to look probably as good as anybody in baseball. Now, I still have a few concerns about his innings with the Brewers. I think they're going to get... At this point, I think maybe 160, although I've heard people say, you know, if they're in contention, they're not going to stop pitching him, which is, which is true. So maybe that happens and he gets a higher. But DeGrom, Aaron Nola, I have no doubts about his innings pitched, and he looks very good too. And it, we're all living in Jacob DeGrom's world though, right? So we ha- yep. something has to happen, or Jacob DeGrom is certainly trending towards another Cy Young Award. Well, let's talk about uh, your your fantasy team here. Uh, what's uh, – can you uh, – how did because we still had to wait for Sunday's performances? How did the week before end, and then how are things trending this week? So I got as high as second during the middle of the week. I did get to second place, and that was based on a lot of the pitchers were pitching pretty well. Now I had some cold hitting this past couple of weeks. Uh, Jack Peterson has been really bad to start the season, like real tough, and that didn't help. And you mentioned Gavin Lux getting hurt, so I had Gavin Lux in the lineup. It's a weekly lineup, so he's locked in there all week, which didn't help. And I don't, Nick Senzel has gotten benched a few days, which has not helped me. He, they started Tyler Naquin, and we remember got really hot, yeah. and so he's playing over Senzel. And Victor Robles has, after all that spring training where I talked about him batting leadoff, batting leadoff, they started to bat him ninth or eighth, and that has not helped either. So I'm currently in seventh place, which – Mid-pack, this upcoming week, I got Brandon Woodruff for two starts. I got Hyunjin Ryu for two starts. Joe Musgrove for two starts. Nate Evaldi for two starts. Taiwan Walker. So I can make up a lot of ground in a hurry. Uh, perhaps when we talk next week at this time, I'll be higher up. I think there's only – let me pull it up quick here. There is – I'm currently at 80 points. Uh, first place is at 101. 20 points at this point of the year can be made up in a week. So as long as you're within striking distance, a lot can change at this point. I'm – I'm still feeling good about my team. I think, I said, I need some of those guys like Senzel at least or Victor Robles to start getting on base it's, a little more. I see batting average, OBP, stolen base. Like those are the, the three uh, that were uh, that were there that were going to be the, the concern to, to monitor it as time goes on. So I'm second in runs. I'm, I'm like 10th in home runs because like Seager has one or two, I think now. And I still think he'll, he's hitting okay. He just is not getting the lift right now, but mid-pack and a lot of those seventh and stolen bases. So a lot of mid-pack stuff where I don't think I have a 238. That's what my team's average is right now is 238. Mike Trout not playing two games certainly didn't help with the COVID against right. the Twins. So some of that type of stuff, it'll get better. It's still still really early in the season. We're April 18th right now when we talk. And I said, we're one-tenth of the season. If this was the NFL, we'd be talking about an 0-1 start or one game. So long time left. A lot of people, here's what I've said. Here's what I've noticed about so every Sunday night, about probably about now, the free agency goes through, and you get to see if you got anybody new. So I got, let's see here, I got, I got Josh Dalmont for Logan Webb. Logan Webb went on the injured list with COVID. I mentioned, so I signed Josh Dalmont, hoping that he becomes the closer for the Kansas City because like saves are hard, saves are tough, and you can pay one hundred and ninety six dollars for Kendall Graveman. I paid sixteen for Josh Dalmont. You get a thousand dollars. So and I. Switched out catchers. I went to Luis Torrance of Seattle instead of Danny Jansen just because playing time. Christian Pache went on the injured list. I said he needs some time in the minors, so I've got a cheap Gregory Polanco to fill in. 
And then I needed a middle infielder with Gavin Lux getting hurt. I had him in my lineup, so I signed Rugnet Odor. I'm not going to pay $196. That's 20% of your budget, basically. And remember, we're not talking about 60 games here. We're talking 162. So you can blow a lot of money early in the season, and there's a lot of takes right now that are like, oh, woe is me, the sky is falling, the Yankees are done. No, you're not done yet. Like, it's a long season. I am not ready to give up on someone that I believed in two – I believed in the talent of Victor Robles two weeks ago. I, no there reason is to stop Nothing to change that in two weeks. I'll keep betting that he gets better. One to keep an eye on if you're looking for catching help is uh, Francisco Mejia. Uh, has looked, uh, again, this was a guy that was a top prospect, uh, a top 25 prospect overall in baseball just a few years ago uh, with the Cleveland Indians. Then he makes his way to San Diego. He looks good in half, but there's some injuries that battled within it, and then he's out of it, and then... He just got replaced by others that came up higher in the totem pole. He gets a full change of scenery mode with the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, the contact bat is there. He had a home run and a double uh, uh, yesterday against the New York Yankees. It was a key part of the offense that helped the Rays uh, get past in that game. Uh, again, the on-base percentage is not that great right now, but the contact ability has been there. Uh, from what I've watched him in the game so far, you can see the talent is there. Uh, so that's someone, if you're looking for an extra offensive boost at catcher, someone to keep an eye on. So some of these guys that we talked about this week, I just got to, so Jake Junis, $156. I bid Ooh. 33. Like, I love Jake Junis. $156, a big commitment. Like, he better keep it up. And Alex Cobb, 134 Like, Ooh. I, I get it. We just talked about yeah. it. It's someone to look at, but that, that gets a little bit pricier it's, within it's, it that's for 13%. someone who has injury issues. It's 13% of your budget. And I said, it's a long season. I have spent... I think the most money I spent so far was on Dalton Jeffries, who then got sent to the minor leagues. That was $22. So I have not spent a lot of money yet. I'm saving some of my money. You never know what can happen. Some big injury, and suddenly there's a new close. I, I like Kendall Graveman. So Kendall Graveman was the big sender of the week. He's going to be the closer, it looks like, in Seattle. But I don't know how many games. I said Seattle's off to a great start. I don't know how many games they're going to win. I'll keep my – are all just Chapman's at two saves because they're 5-10? and ten? Like – I'll keep holding out hope, and I said maybe Josh Dalmont, he's looked great for the Royals. They've sort of changed up their closing, and all it takes is one for them to say, you know what, Josh Dalmont, you're a closer because you look really good, and I think Kansas City's pretty good. A lot of close games there. He has there, the talent so. to lead the league in, in saves. Like, he's he's that good. Yeah, yeah. So, so cheap stuff like that. When I have to spend up for someone, I will, but for now, I'm going to keep taking some smaller shots here. We'll wrap up with the hot seat as we look at the best matchups of the week uh, from both pitching matchups as well as uh, teams going head-to-head. We have uh, Padres versus Brewers this week. Uh, We have, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember who's going up against Woodruff. Woodruff versus Musgrove. So Musgrove came off that no-hitter and got the Pirates, and I think he took a no decision, but still looked good. it was not another no-hitter like I thought maybe he'd get, but yeah, that's that's tomorrow night. So And then I think it's actually probably Burns and it's not Darvish because he just pitched. Paddock probably. Probably Burns Paddock after that. Then you have, uh, as far as uh, some of the older guys that are looking effective, you have Alex Cobb versus Zach Reinke this week. Hopefully Houston has all their players back. And then finally, you have Blake Snell versus Clayton Kershaw on Friday night as we have round two with uh, Dodgers-Padres. That, that is that is must-watch TV. If you don't have MLB TV, get MLB TV. Dodgers-Padres, they're going to be both very good. And, yeah, that's a good one. Two lefties. Well, we'll look forward to uh, recapping this week next week. We'll see you next Sunday.
Thank you.